Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. I'm Ron. This is our review of Reindeer Games, starring Ben Affleck, Gary Sinise, Charlize Theron, James Frain, Danny Trejo, Donald Logue, Clarence Williams III, and Dennis Powell Farina. Directed by John Frankenheimer, released in 2000 on a $42 million budget, grossed 32.1 at the box office. I should say released in February of 2000 because the test screenings went so badly that it didn't make the December 99 release that it was supposed to have. So our annual holiday trash movie selection, gentlemen, we, we made this choice back in June when we were talking Scream 3 because the screenwriter of Scream 3, Aaron Kruger of Transformers and Arlington Road and Scream 3 fame also wrote this, though Frankenheimer would, would have told you that what the script was and what you actually got to see on the screen are a very different thing. So who's to know who's to blame here? But we we talked about this one back then, and for some reason it popped in my head, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, that, oh, yeah, we said we were going to do Reindeer Games as our holiday uh, garbage fest. And so here we are, guys. It's no Santa sleigh, but it's it's good. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very very exciting um i really enjoy this kind of ridiculous movie well if it's ridiculous you won't we, we've got it in droves here so yeah we, we are known for our ridiculous movie love here so it's all good yeah i mean after some of the things we've done this year but yeah uh no this, this, <laughs> one, this one falls in that category now look i saw this in theaters fellas uh, I, wow. I got suckered in by the posters. I don't even know. Um, probably in a real depressive moment of graduate school. Um, and that's why I went and saw this and, uh, probably alone as I should have. And, uh, yeah. And I, I think I've maybe seen it once since then before we did it for this review, but I do remember it. Like I, I was amazed how much of it I remembered just walking through it again or watching it this time that i thought wow i I thought i would have forgotten more of this movie but no it's burned on my skull somewhere so did either either you seen this before no first time for me but i do have to ask jay what drove you to this movie was it gary sinise or ben affleck it was was neither man it wasn't even Charlize (laughs) theron it was the oh it's a it's a heist movie sure i like heat sure that's it was it was danny you could admit that it was Danny Trejo. That's fine. Dude, that's one thing I had forgotten. I had forgotten he was in it. Like, I forgot that there were any goons. Like, I, I was like, I think, I think there are some goons. I don't really remember. I know Gary Sinise has a really awful haircut in this movie. That's all I really know. So, and him and Charlize Theron make out in a hotel pool. It's really gross. It was the, uh, it's the first time I think I ever saw Donald Logue in a thing. You might have been, yeah. So, which he replaced Vin Diesel, who left this to go fast in the Furious. So, good choice. Yeah. Well. So you're saying in an alternate universe, there's a Fast and the Furious series where Donald Logue is the main character? <laughs> no, I don't because think I'm Donald completely Logue was, in. I don't think Donald Logue was ever up for that. <laughs> Though, how has he not played like one of the random cops that's been you know uselessly tossed to the side in that series? I don't know, but. 
I think I first became aware of Donald Logue in like a Blade movie. I think it, that might have been it. But I know I've seen him like on television and stuff. But and of course in a hundred other things now. But don't remember when I became aware of the Logueness. But um, <laughs> I, I forgot Clarence Williams the Third was in this as well. So, but I remember Dennis Farina was in it, uh, and I love Dennis Farina. Uh, I think he's amazing because he was an actual cop and gave that up to be an actor where he played mostly cops or criminals <laughs> and then you know he did unsolved mysteries in his latter years so uh, the a less creepy version of unsolved mysteries i might say and most importantly he told joe pesci to go get a shine box <laughs> this is also <laughs> true so, so yeah you know we we could I, i'm I was blown away though by this because I I do remember when I saw it in theaters because it, it was in February and I remember thinking that was a Christmas movie. This is before I realized that February was the dumping ground for movies, especially Miramax movies when they don't think they can make any money. And the fact that it made thirty two million dollars is probably because it was up against nothing else uh, when it did, but it still fa- <laughs> it still failed miserably at the box office. Charlize Theron will tell you it's it's the worst thing she's ever done. She hates it, but she did it just so she could work with Frankenheimer the famed director of Manchurian Candidate and uh, French Connection 2 and a lot of other things. He also did some really awful stuff like The Island of Dr. Moreau. I don't know if you've ever saw that one, but I have. Yeah. And that is not his fault. He was one of like three directors who was on that movie. That was Val Kilmer's fault, right? Cause he like, he extinguished some sort of like a uh, bug on that set or something like that. Like he had like a weird, that was, <laughs> that was Val Kilmer's problem. So, uh, and Marlon Brando, you talk about a toxic combination on a set. Gosh. Yeah. Talk about two people who absolutely hated each other from the jump. It was those two. Yeah. And it's amazing. They even got a film out of that. So <laughs> I just imagine it. So, but I got to thinking about this. I'm like, who was Ben Affleck in 1999 and 2000? Kind of nobody, right? I mean, he wasn't really anybody at this point. Was he? Had he won? He hadn't oh, won an no. Oscar at this he point was- yet. Um, I thought he had. He Good had. Will, yeah, Good Will Hunting is older, I guess. So, but but even like he was just the schlummo friend, and he hung out in Kevin Smith movies. I think at this point, like I don't think he had really you know made real box office gold. He definitely wasn't Batman, but they were definitely trying to make him <laughs> box office gold. Was I, I'm I'm wondering like I don't I don't remember when Daredevil was made. <laughs> Um, does anybody know when that movie came out? Well, this was after Daredevil is all three. Okay. This was after he was in Armageddon. So yeah, Armageddon was 98. Yeah. He had Armageddon behind him. Oh, wow. So he was, he had, he had mall rats, Armageddon, chasing Amy. So he was a star (laughs) at this point. Okay. So they were trying to make him an action star at this point. As we know, he was the bomb in Phantoms. Hold, hold that thought for another day because I got uh, I, I got know. words about phantoms <laughs> and also the phantom because Billy Zane will make a return to this podcast one day. Um, of course but, he will. But anyway, America's sweetheart, Billy Zane. <laughs> that's that's one phrase for him. Uh, but speaking of America's sweetheart, we have Ben Affleck here and uh Gary Sinise fresh off of you know Lieutenant Dan fame and Apollo 13 fame and <laughs> now now slumming it to do whatever he can to stay in a movie this is before CSI uh Texas or what the hell everyone he's in came around so uh before he did that I didn't think you could get somebody more wooden than David Caruso by the way for a CSI but <laughs> Gary Sinise is your man I mean he acts entirely with his weird 
Steve Buscemi like face. That's who it is. <laughs> that was the most yeah, unsettling yeah. <laughs> part about watching this movie in HD is that because the the only time I'd seen it previously was on a rented VHS tape uh, that uh, a, a girl in college told me I had to watch it. So we went to the video store and rented it and watched Reindeer Games in like uh, I don't remember September or something of you know a couple years after it came out and she's like you got to see this movie it's amazing and i was like okay sure whatever uh and so we went and we rented reindeer games and it was just absolutely ridiculous at the time and i really laughed and enjoyed myself but man in hd gary sinise looks really weird <laughs> he does and you nailed it Bushimi. i could not put my finger on what the face is i was like like when Bushimi plays like a homeless guy in an adam sandler movie that's gary yeah. sinise's hair and wardrobe yes yep. yes that's exactly what this is oh man i had not that's a good pull ron i had not thought of it like that wow now I as know. i was watching this movie i couldn't remember gary's name <laughs> and i kept thinking he was Steve Buscemi, and I'm like, no, that's not Steve Buscemi. Who the hell is this guy? <laughs> it's Lieutenant Dan. He's driving me nuts. <laughs> uh, uh, amazingly enough, yeah. Uh, I mean, you talk about, I mean, just slumming it <laughs> in here. You got, the three of these people are Oscar-nominated or winners, you know, with Charlize, Ben, and Sinise there. Of course, not at, I mean, I guess Ben had one at this time, but this is before Charlize got hers, and Gary got before that? His. Uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, astronaut's wife came out before this. She did not win for the astronaut's wife. <laughs> what did she win for? Because she was up for it, wasn't she? I don't think so. I think she, she was for that one. For that movie? Are you sure, man? You, we're talking about the same <laughs> flick, right? Because, wow. Yeah, um, it wasn't very good, but that doesn't mean it doesn't get nominated. Uh, I mean, I knew her at this point from from uh, The Devil's Advocate, if, you, if you've ever seen that. Yeah, so, Cider House Rules. Yeah. So, no, she she got, like, she won her award for, like, Monster and all that. Wow, okay. So that's yeah, that's yeah. way way down the road. That's, yeah, that's, that's, well, it's only four years later, actually. So. That's way down the road. <laughs> So, but I, mean, I, mean, I guess in, in movie terms, yeah, that's way down the road. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. So, but yeah, I mean, this was before she was that person. But I, like I said, I knew her from The Devil's Advocate, which is that's another one of those. Just put the, put that on the back burner, somebody. Because like, well, I got words for that movie. I like The Devil's Advocate. Ke- Keanu Reeves' slipping yeah. accent. So <laughs> no, 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 that is a movie that's got a great ass. <laughs> 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 and Al Pacino's is all up in it. I'm going to tell you, but uh, I mean, if Al Pacino could have been the powwow safe, he could, he could have been Jack Banks here. That'd have been great. But oh well, we did get Farina. Uh, I don't want to complain. take any roles away from Dennis Farina because he's great in this movie. I was going to say, yeah, he seems to be the only person having any fun in, in this movie, and we'll get to that. But I think before we go any further, Ron, hit us up with one of your plot summaries. I I just hope it's it's half as as interesting as those ninja ones you've been doing the last month with me uh it's not quite that good but uh you know i'll do my best (laughs) two days before release from prison and all rudy duncan wants is nothing more than a mug of hot chocolate and a christmas with his family sure his cellmate nick has a hot woman waiting for him on the outside and he can't stop talking about it but rudy is a man of simple tastes until during a prison riot nick is shanked and killed leaving the beautiful ashley on the outside without a convict to romance her Rudy nearly does the right thing, then decides to get the girl and uses his knowledge of Nick's romance to worm his way into Ashley's bed, 
unwittingly getting himself involved in a criminal scheme headed up by Ashley's quote-unquote brother, Gabriel, and two people have never looked less alike. Gabriel and his gang interrupt the post-prison family trip to Sexylvania to kidnap Rudy and force him to help the gang knock off a casino. All the while, Rudy protests time and time again that he's not Nick and won't be of any help, only to eventually come back around and jump back into the group's scheme to keep Ashley and himself safe. Yeah, because getting shot in the head is the other option at that point in the movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Rudy uses Nick t- Nick's tales of working security at the Tomahawk Casino and his own car thief abilities to help Gabriel and the gang plan the robbery, all the while trying and failing to escape at least five times. Sure, he can't get free, but Rudy discovers one crucial bit of information. Gabriel and Ashley aren't siblings, but lovers, and it's all been a scam. Which, <gasps> which you know, makes a lot of sense, because Gary Sinise is literally twice the age of Charlize Theron. But Easily. <laughs> never mind that. Maybe if he'd said the Divas are dead, it would be a little bit more <laughs> believable. But then also, no, because how would that come from Gary Sinise? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the group strikes on Christmas Eve, all of them dressed like Santa Claus. Security guards shoot, Santa shoot, and Ashley joins the heist by crashing her car through the casino doors and running over some cops. Gabriel heads to Dennis Farina's office and roughs him up to try to get access to the powwow safe, a rumored cache of scammed funds. Turns out the pow in the powwow safe isn't cash, but a couple of machine guns. Dennis Farina guns down one of the robbers and runs the rest off before being killed in a gun battle. Rudy kills another one of the robbers by lighting him on fire via rum, leaving only three surviving criminals, Gabriel, Rudy, and Ashley. The plan is simple. Light Rudy on fire in a car, then push the car off the cliff. That way five Santas rob the place and five Santas end up dead. But Ashley screws up and lets Rudy know that Nick got shanked, revealing that the plan wasn't a double cross, but a triple cross. Gabriel gets suspicious, then gets shot by Ashley. Nick appears literally out of nowhere, and Rudy learns that it was all part of Nick's plan to pull off a heist without actually being involved in the heist. However, Nick and Ashley make one fatal mistake. Never put a car thief behind the wheel of a car. Rudy hotwires the flaming car, runs Nick down, and then runs down Ashley, leaping out of the flaming car as it falls over the cliff and explodes. Rudy then locks Nick in the back of the trailer and sends that semi over the cliff too. Rudy picks up the bag of cash leaving Christmas presents in mailboxes on the long walk back to his family. Rudy gets that Christmas dinner, and with a charming Affleck smile, credits roll. I hate it when the triple cross comes in. You just never feel it the same, you know? <laughs> so many things to unpack here. But I think the the part of it that I I didn't quite remember exactly how the setup went, and I want to make sure I understand what you, you lay it out there, Ron. So Rudy and Nick are cellmates, okay? And Nick's whole plan is I'm not brave enough to actually rob a place, so I'm going to come up with the most wicked, elaborate way to get somebody else to do it for me. And it's he, not that he's not brave enough to rob the place. I think he just doesn't want to go back to jail. Right. So he's so well, he, I don't think I think and he he'd be recognized. So he pays off a, a guy who we find out later is a lifer, Dana Stubblefield, serial offender and ex NFL player, to stab him um, in the middle of a Isaac Hayes cameo food fight in the prison, <laughs> and 
that's what, you know, he, he's supposed to be dead. And then Rudy comes out. He sees this gorgeous woman in the most gaudy coat possible. I mean, that, that could land planes or something. That bright silver puffy coat she's got standing out mm-hmm. in the snow, waiting for her convict to love. And he has this whole conversation with himself. And what gets him off of there is another convict and his wife on the bus, like making out. And he's like, ah, I got to get me some of that. Like, that's all it is. I mean, basically, yeah. Plus, uh, Nick establishes later that Rudy sat there salivating over every detail of their shared love notes. Which are all a scam as well. Like, that's, we learned that this is all just a setup the whole time along. Because this is the woman that Nick went to jail for to begin with because he beat the crap out of somebody at the bar she worked at, right? He killed the guy, yeah. Does he, yeah, he killed him with like a pool key or something like that. He so. he manslaughtered him, as the movie says. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Great line. It's <laughs> a great verb there. I know you could do that, but okay. So uh and what what I do think is funny about this, and it is the comedy that they play up, is that the Gary Sinise and his his three goons, uh Let's see. We have Pug played by Donald Logue. You have Jumpy played by Danny Trejo in a hilarious bit where he's like going to night school and has thoughts about socioeconomic conditions while reading a Business Week magazine. And then Clarence Williams III, who just always looks like he's out of his mind, you know, at some point. They're all truck drivers and they just talk a lot of crap about hating to be on the road all the time and they want to, you know, make the big score and they get talked into it by the sweet Charlie Theron to be a part of all this, but they're not criminals and they don't know how to do criminal crap. Like they have guns and they talk tough, but the only one of them that looks sadistic at all is Gabriel, who also goes by the name monster. And they just flip that in and out and never explain it. Unless you see the side of that truck that you would never know that. Well, they are criminals, but they're like really low level, like the gun runners. runners. They're driving trucks of stolen guns. And that's the extent of their criminal behavior. Right, but they don't shoot people, they don't do anything. But I would say Gary Sinise has a sadistic scene that when, when he tortures Ben Affleck's character with the darts and all that crap. Apparently that scene goes on a lot longer in the either of you see the director's cut? I didn't. No. I did not. I I have never seen it. I can only imagine how much more painful that could possibly look because that was a that was a sadistic scene when he starts chucking darts at the guy. I mean, who hasn't wanted to throw a dart at Ben Affleck at one time or another? I mean, this, I don't know what, how the director's cut could have made things any better or worse because, you know, this was, this was plenty of movie. It's, this was much more movie than was necessary. It's one, it's a two hour movie as it is, and it somehow makes this a two hour and 24 minute movie. That's all I know about it. The only difference Mm. is it's just longer. And I'm like, I don't think I needed more. It's pretty well all explained once it's said and done. I thought that the I mean, Clarence a, Williams character was kind of felt like he could be a criminal. I think that's just because well, he more so than Gary Sneeze. No, because he's the one who's like beating the shit out of Ben Affleck the whole time. Well, I think that's just because he's a, he's just a tough, rough dude. I mean, yeah, I, but, yeah he, he might have just be like a former bouncer or something. Also, if if Gary Sneeze had listened to him and Donald Logue, they would have never gotten involved with this guy because they're both at different times telling him like this dude is lying. Like we're te- he's saying he's Nick. And he says he's but not. he was we're, lying. We're telling y'all right now, this dude is lying. <laughs> and, sure, and sure enough, I mean, he just sort of, I mean, I love how Ben Affleck is like, yeah, screw it. I'd rather be alive than dead. So I'll just make this stuff up. And uh, some of it's right. 
I mean, he just kind of wings it in the casino. And of course it goes horribly wrong when everybody gets shot to hell at the end of it. <laughs> Is there anyone left standing in that place? No. I mean, and that's the thing. The movie opens with everybody dead. So, you know, like everything goes bad because Ben Affleck's laying in a hump in the snow, you know, at the end of the movie. And then we go back. So it they blow what, I mean, you know, that doesn't work, which is, I don't know. I thought. That was an interesting way to start. I mean, movies do that a lot, right? Where they start with the end and then they go back to how we got there and then catch you back up with another 15 minutes to go. But I I didn't need that, actually. I would have been okay. I'll tell you the part of this movie that's most infuriating, though, is that Ben Affleck does voiceover. I've never heard that's what I was just thinking. That's what I was just thinking about. When I was watching it, I'd forgotten completely about the three or four segments of Affleck voiceover and his... Holly was sitting next to me. I said, I bet you're wondering how I ended up in this situation. And then Affleck starts talking and it's not that, but it may as well be that. It really is. It feels like something that again, that came out of the test screenings. Like we need Ben to explain this to everybody. I'm like, yeah. And he gives about the same performance Harrison Ford did in the voiceover at the end of Blade Runner, about the same inflection and passion for it at all too. It's like it came in one day off the set of, uh, you know, Jay and Silent Bob strike back and read some lines. It totally threw me for a loop when I was watching it. Cause I'm like, why are we listening to his inner monologue? <laughs> <laughs> How did when did we establish this is going to happen? I don't get it. <laughs> Especially when the character in one of his first scenes on the bus has an external monologue. He's talking <laughs> yes. to why can't you just let him talk to himself? <laughs> exactly. If they had done that throughout the movie, it would be a better movie. Then it becomes a Shane Black movie. Yeah, see, thank you. And see, I think somewhere in like the Aaron Kruger version of this cuz Aaron Kruger is kind of like a low rent Shane Black in some ways. Um, and I bet the more of the script was like that and Frankenheimer killed it, you know, doing what he wanted to do. But, uh, I could almost see that. Yeah. Well, if Shane Black had got a hold of this, holy God, a much better movie. Probably because Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. would have been in it. I mean, this just (laughs) makes me want to watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a much better Christmas caper movie. You know what? It is about as related to Christmas. Wait till 2018, man. You just said it. <laughs> now, if I can remember that. But I mean, really, though. Yeah, I mean, no, that, that's the that's the thing here. And of course, we get our gratuitous sex scene and all this other stuff. And we get to meet the truckers and the goons. And I love how like Gary Sinise, the shotgun he's got is this like decked out, sporterized, double pump handle sawed off with a folded Teco stock. It's like he went with like the most ridiculous looking gun on the prop wall and said, no, I want that one. If I've got to wear this damn wig and this goatee and look like Bashimi, I at least want a gun like that. And so he got like this crazy gun. But I don't think it's sawed off. I just think it's like a a bullpup type. Well, maybe that is it. Yeah. Because I've got I've got one or my dad had one kind of like that with that kind of uh, uh, that kind of pump action it didn't have you know the, the big uh, flashlight rail or anything on it but uh <laughs> it, it was that kind of uh more assault shotgun type thing well it comes in useful later when ben affleck's got to shoot through the ice that he and Charlize you know fall through 
Uh, and so it does have its purpose. And then I think it blows away a goon in the casino or a goon, a, a, a lowly security guard working Christmas Eve. I'm sorry. So it's not a goon. He's just some guy trying to make nine twenty five an hour. Yeah. What are the guys who's unlucky enough to not have a family to go home to? Or so has maybe, one and he's trying to pay for it. I don't know. So Yeah. Well, maybe shooting the guy ended up do, been doing him a favor. Like it kept him out of his head out of the oven. Well, you know, oh, you gotta dark. look for the bra- the bra- the the, the ray of sunshine there, Ron. <laughs> yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> yeah. So, but what 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 do you two make of the whole like setup and the plan to knock over the Tomahawk Casino in the middle of nowhere, Michigan? I'm I, this is more close to like where you live and are from, uh, Brian. So I'm kind of relying on you for some geography and weather here. Cold. Um, sounds like they're close to Lake Superior. Uh, I didn't catch the town or look it up, but, uh, if it's close to Lake Superior at that time of year, it's freezing and they had a lot of snow. Yeah. There's a scene near the end of the movie where they show a cop car racing down the road and on either side of the road is like a car high bank of snow. Mm-hmm. And see, I see that and where I live in the deep south, and I think like that would just completely cripple my entire state for like a year. <laughs> like we wouldn't be able to deal with that at all. <laughs> and we up here laugh at you. I know, yeah, you're out there playing <laughs> golf and shorts, you know. <laughs> so it was forty degrees. I had a hoodie on <laughs> today. Man, so, if it was forty here, I would have the flu. <laughs> All right, that's, that's what happens down here. But it was seventy today, and we're recording this in December. So my, when when I took the kids to the bus stop, it was 30, 36 degrees, and I said to the neighbor, "It's a nice morning today. Nice and <laughs> nice weather." <laughs> so that'll give you a yeah, feel. But let it get like. above like 90 degrees and we'll see what, what happens. It gets above 90 up here and we're all inside cooling off because it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think 90 degrees sucks everywhere. Speaking of sucks, back to this movie. Um, so, and this plan, this is a horrible plan, right? Like, I love like how he, he's BSing his way through all this. Like, no, they, they moved the whole casino around. Like, the bar's not in the right place and yada, yada. And when they finally get in there, they're like, this guy doesn't know shit. <laughs> well, so here's the thing that drives me nuts, right? Charlize knows the whole time that this isn't Nick. Yeah. So why? And she's the ringleader. So why does she keep playing along with it that he knows the casino stuff? <laughs> she's trying to get those other guys to knock the thing off for Nick because he has some line at the very end where he's like, oh, man, she would have bailed it. And he goes, Affleck calls him out on like how ridiculously <laughs> elaborate this whole thing is. And he said, oh, man, she was ready to bail at any moment. And I was like, yeah, I guess so, because she would have been the only one that knew what the hell was going on. She was playing those other guys just as much as she was playing him. If yeah. not more so. More so, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, like, she, like, there's this line, like, she, I think she's involved with three of the characters in this film. And I'm not too certain her and Donald Logan had a run or two, the way they look at each other a couple times. So I think she had screwed the whole bunch of them. So, I mean, that, that makes as much sense as any other part of her plan. Well, I mean, really, like, that, she, her her superpower in this is that she's sexy, and that's just what she she just does sexy things. 
in front of people, and, and then men just do stupid things because of it. Well, we're not exactly dealing with, uh, you know, top shelf uh, geniuses here. No. When Affleck is the smartest guy in your movie, your your movie's kind of in trouble. <laughs> Boy, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> yeah, if there's there's no better way to sum that up. Yeah. So wow. But <laughs> I, I mean, really though, this whole thing is. But I think you said it in the plot summary, Ron, and I, I chuckled at it. Was how many different times does Affleck try to escape from them? I counted at least four. I think it's at least four. It you could it could possibly be five. I I didn't keep I didn't keep count, but it seemed like it happened every fifteen minutes or so, uh, only to be him to come back to the the heist. What 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 gets me is the one time he actually gets out undetected. He runs back to his room and pretends he's still hooked to the bed. He had his shot. That's what I didn't understand. And I wanted to ask you guys about that. Why does he, when he figures out Ashley and Gary Sinise, um, Shirley Theron and Gary Sinise are not who they say they are. And he's like, forget it, losers. And he's out. He hears the other two guys say, oh, I better go check on the, you know, the prisoner. And he's like, I've got a knife. I could run away or I can go back upstairs and still like I'm tied up. Like, Why doesn't he just bail? They don't know where he is. And he's got a good head start on them. Well, yeah, and he could have, they could have, when when they went back into the hotel, there's nobody outside at that point. He could have hotwired one of those cars and took off. Exactly, because this is a guy who can hotwire a car in neutral, which, by the way, you can't do. So apparently he's the greatest car thief ever. He also hotwired a hotel room door. So, I mean, he's like the greatest car thief we know. And he goes back into captivity. Ron, why? I have no idea. That's a, that's kind of what I was wondering the whole time. I guess because if he leaves, there's no movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we do have that, to. We sure. do have to admit that at this point too, he doesn't know about the relationship between the two until he's back in the hotel. And at that point, when they come in, he's kind of trapped. Well, yeah, he gets back in because they come out into the parking lot. And so he gets back in. That's where he's got that knife that he ripped off from the the truck that he was in looking for a gun because it had gun stickers on it. He sees that, but he's like, at that point, he's still got a chance to get away because he knows. They come down the hall, but he hides just easily from them. They go right by him. It's not like he couldn't just duck right on out the door and grab a car and be gone. True. Or he could have stabbed one of the guys. That could have happened too. Yeah, it, you know, it's amazing if you stab someone, how unnerved everybody else might get around you, especially when they're not criminals. I mean, Clarence Williams is crazy and will beat the crap out of you, but he might react badly when he sees his friend stabbed in the face. At the at the very least, he he's armed this entire time with the knowledge that they literally cannot kill him because he's the only person who knows how to commit a robbery. Yeah, and he says that many, many times. He even has like this heart-to-heart with Donald Logue, like, right now you're just a truck driver. You do this, you're really going to regret <laughs> it. And I'm like, this is from a different movie because this is so like earnest. And I'm like, where did that come from? This movie's not playing on that level. This is dumb. I'm sure Affleck uh, wrote that line uh, when he was working on a very early draft of The Town. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. He needed to redraft The Town just for record's sake, by the way. But... No, uh, th- uh, 
he kills along with it though. He's just going to keep going along with it. And of course, when the robbery actually goes down, it, it it's insane. Like the plan is they go in and they're all dressed like Santa Claus and he causes a fuss at a table. And that's when all the other Santas pull out the guns and we start rounding everybody up and ripping off the, the safe. It's a wild scene. Um, <laughs> and Affleck, and it, it's kind of odd because he's the one who starts the whole thing. And then he gets on top of the old man he was arguing with, making a scene tell him to just stay down because he knows what's going to happen next. A- and then uh, Sinise runs upstairs to the main room to take out the security team and get to the vault, right? Uh, get where all the money is, which is another interesting scene because then you have them open the door to the vault and right there waiting are another couple of guards or three of them or so. And they start shooting at everyone. You know, that's like, the guys in crap. the count room because everybody knows that like he lays some line on them earlier about like, yeah, there's no guns in the count room. I'm like, what kind of casino is that? We've all seen the casino <laughs> at this point. The count room is the most heavily armed place in the joint. So like everybody's got guns. And I love how Clarence Williams is like, no guns in the count room, huh? You know, as Donald Logue's heaping body is laying by him with holes in it. Which which they really should have known better because even if uh, have you ever been in a casino there you don't see armed guards but there are armed people there at the casino and why would they not be in the room where all the money is and more, moreover have these guys like ever watched a crime movie at least like they didn't even drop that out there. It's like these guys, apparently they drive so much that they just have no idea what happens outside of a truck. Which that would be no my guess. Hey, they were, it, they were driving 15 hours a day. But that makes no sense. Cause at every, every truck stop I've ever been to, there's a big rack of DVDs. And before that VHS tapes and before that books on CD books on eight track where you can like, <laughs> Listen to other crime stories and learn a thing from the greatest hits of, I mean, you can learn a thing for Elmore Leonard. Yes, exactly. Like there, there are things that could have been picked up on. That's what it makes them. And I guess that's supposed to be the comedy of it is that they are so tough talking, but they're stupid and everything goes horrible because they're listening to somebody who does not know what he's talking about. He knows enough to be able to guide them around the room, but he really doesn't know anything. But what we have to remind ourselves, guys, is this is all the master plan, though, because Nick just knew good old Rudy would walk him through all of this. And I'm like, man, that you're putting a lot of faith in a car thief, bro. Hey, six months of telling them how to do everything and everything about the casino pays off, bro. And not to mention every inch of Charlize's body, apparently, because... That's the way they talk. Hey, but he didn't mind. Remember, it's a, you know we, we, she might as well have fun. I'm in two years in the popo. <laughs> so she has fun with Gary Sinise. She has fun with Ben Affleck. Is it really fun when it involves Gary Sinise? I don't. And again, man, I think you hit it. He may not be in actuality, but he looks twenty years older than her. <laughs> but to credit to them, like when they do their makeout scenes, it's like full on gross. And it's like, you could tell the two of them are like, let's just go for it. Let's just be nasty. <laughs> and they, they are full on white trash. They're nasty. Oh, mm-hmm. it's white trash city, baby. So, yeah. So we get the, the, I mean, the shootout 
to end all shootouts. And poor Dennis Farina is getting tortured. And his whole thing is he's just trying to get out of that crappy casino to get back to Vegas, right? It's like he took the job and now the Native Americans funding the place won't even talk to him anymore. They don't want to try the five ninety nine prime rib. Um, and he's, I'll never go back to Vegas, right? After he gets hey, they robbed, got Pepsi and Coke. Hey, hey man, you got to pay for this movie however you can. This is Miramax we're talking about. There no problem with Coke. product placement. Rum and Coke, please. Do you want a Coke or a Pepsi? <laughs> I, I did laugh uh, when I saw Harvey Weinstein's name in the credits. I, I think we all should, and we probably feel shamed for it. I because I'm a, because I'm a monster. Yeah, I kind of hate that. I, I'm, I'm ending the we're ending the year on that. But hey, you know th- they have a big plethora of films, and most of them are garbage. So they were ripe but, for this kind of stuff. And uh, just for the record, Gary Sinise, at least as of this recording, is 62, and Charlize Theron is 42. So wow. he, he is literally 20 years older than her. I would have <laughs> lost the wager. I would have never told you that man was out of his 50s. I, he wears 62 well. <laughs> That's amazing. I would have never thought he was that much older than her. So that means, well, this movie's 17 years old. So she was 25 when they made this. Wow. You know, knowing Dennis Freed, I remember the joke of the powwow safe. You know, and I, I thought like he had a bazooka or something. I couldn't remember he had like two Uzis or whatever. But I love how Dennis Farina gets his, you know, say hello to my little friend moment. And in fact, I'm surprised he didn't break that line out because that's, he's kind of doing a Tony Montana at the end of Scarface here. But I thought it was I pretty will cool. Have to say, uh, yeah, I, I was going to say that's probably my favorite part of the whole. The heist is probably my favorite part of the movie and, and at least uh, the least gross part of the movie since. You know, Gary Sinise isn't mauling Charlie's Throne, and um, that's one of that's probably my favorite part of the heist because you finally get to see this uh, Las Vegas scumbag do Las Vegas scumbag things. Yes, and I wanted him to live. I hate that he died. He just kind of dies slumped over too. He doesn't even get a good death. Didn't get a headshot or nothing. I'm like, oh man. I mean, he does a stunt. He jumps out the window. I mean, not Dennis, but you know, his good stunt double jumps out the window and, you know, lands on a casino bar and, you know, is Ramboing up the place. I mean, I guess he figured at that point, everything shot to hell. Might as well go out in a blaze of glory. So, cause he ain't oh, yeah. going back to Vegas. I mean, well, uh, this is definitely the best part of the movie because it was the most action packed and it flowed well. It was, well it was fun. Done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I think this was the only part that John Frankenheimer was really interested in doing. <laughs> yeah. Or at least the only part of the movie that like he that he didn't have to like rewrite from a different script. Like this is probably the whole reason he took the project on. This also and, feels like a Shane Black thing, like the level of violence here, I think, especially with we didn't say, but like Ben Affleck's character's got a rubber gun that he pours rum into because it's a water pistol. And Clarence Williams III's going to mess him up. But before he does, he's going to light a cigarette. And he just, you know, of course, squirts it all over him and lights Santa on fire, uh, which was a great death. <laughs> that was I'm a just good disappointed. Death. I'm just disappointed we didn't get, like, the stunt guy on fire running around. I, it probably well, he fell out a window. He, he does jump out of a window and land on a car. I mean, the poor guy did pretty good. So yeah, but he needs to like run across a room and then leap out of a window, like go full uh, swamp thing with it. 
<laughs> well, they, you know, they they already had two hours of movie. Maybe that's in the director's cut. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, fifteen uh, minutes of a stunt man <laughs> on fire running around. Yeah, oh, die already. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we should cut that down, cut that down. But the NBAA could have told him to cut it down too, for all we know. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I liked it. I thought that was a good death. I thought that was a good way for Rudy to kill somebody without having him, you know, outright kill somebody. Uh, he sort of leads them well, to He their kills own plenty death. of people in this movie. So, well, in the end, yeah, he kills two people directly, but everybody else, I mean, they, he kind of leads them to their own death. That's what I'm saying. How does Danny does Danny Trejo get shot up with the the opening of the count room too? I can't remember. I believe he dies from the uh, the gunshots from the count room. Okay, because I know Donald Logue did. I couldn't remember how Danny Trejo bought it. Two of them got shot from that. Okay, all right. So that that's how that goes down. Well, well, they. I mean, they get out of there though with all of that money, right? And the the great escape. And what I love is there's this horde of cops coming down the highway, you know, past that big snowdrift. That we talked about, and they're not the least bit suspicious about this large truck with the words Motor City Monster painted on the side of it. I think you stop everything on the highway at that point. Like, (laughs) no, sir, you're going to pull over and let me inspect your vehicle. Well, they may not know the extent of what's going on either. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if if a casino's been knocked over, you stop all traffic, right? Like, they just let them go. I don't know. Do they? I don't know. Yeah. Well, here's... Here's my thing. I, I don't know if you guys live adjacent to a casino or, or have ever lived adjacent to casinos. But <laughs> I live in Alabama. We shut those things down <laughs> ritually down here. We have one 10 minutes down the road. Yeah, we've got one. Across, there's one across the river in Indiana. And uh, number one, every time they remodel it, they don't completely redesign the buildings. So those idiots should have should have realized that, hey, they're not going to move the kitchen across the entire thing. <laughs> that's a big that's remodel. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a demolition and rebuild. Um, but the other thing is, there are always cops hanging around by the casino just waiting to arrest drunk gamblers. Drunk people, yep. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. they've got like a speed trap set up. Like there's a part on that road where it goes from 55 to 35 immediately the cops are always hanging out there waiting to get people who aren't paying attention. They're always trying to get drunk drivers and they're probably just also hanging around as like paid extra security. I, I, I know that this is a casino in the middle of nowhere, but that makes it even more likely that the cops are hanging around looking to make a little extra, you know, cash for the police benevolence fund, by you know, <laughs> hassling the, the people coming back from the, the Indian gaming. Let me just posit one possible excuse for all of that it's christmas eve maybe yeah. maybe that's like what they said early yeah like they said earlier half the security goes home well i mean they even talk about there's sending nobody them home. there yep yeah. and they do send them home yeah. uh, so uh, maybe that's the same with the cops it's christmas eve nobody's out and about that could have been why they had a lax police force yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, you would have thought, I mean, I don't know around here, like if police work like Christmas Eve or Christmas, they get like double pay. You would think there would be some more. People well, they do. Volunteered. They do, but they don't have that many do it. Yeah, I can. I can. The see people that. who do work get double pay, but that they don't have the whole force on. They just yeah, have a couple true. people. 
I say I, be, I believe the idea that like it's everything's thinned out because it's Christmas Eve. Like they play that off for everything else. That that's a good enough excuse. Fine, you know that that works for me. Um, Plus, it's clearly out in the middle of nowhere. It is. Yeah, I mean they they talk about how out in the middle of nowhere it is. We even talked about the poor ice fishing guy they shot earlier. Um, so I guess Gary Sinise is a murderer. So because he does that. So. Um, so maybe he has killed people. I don't know. But and it's uh, weird because well, she she says he's killed people. Yeah. But that's that seems strange to me because why is it that Gary Sinise is a killer immediately and you know Donald Logue is barely a criminal? I think he is the one most along for the ride. You know, of all of the he's people. the driver, the escape car driver. Is that what? Well, but he's in the casino, so you. you oh, I know that. I'm just saying, he's the driver. He, he always seems to be the one listening from up in the front and everything. Well, you're else. right. Yeah, he is. He is the most out of the area. You're correct. So. Yeah, I don't think he's gangsta. He's just along for the ride. Probably friends. There you go. Try tries to be. Badass, but fails miserably. Yeah, very miserably. Might we add? Because uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but at any rate, so they get out of there, right? And then it's time to dump the body. We get the the inevitable twist, though, because Charlie says the wrong thing. Like he took a shit for you, and I I love how Affleck <laughs> plays this off. Like he's like, wait, wait a minute, wait, hold on a minute. I didn't tell you that. You know, and I mean, it's the most earnest thing he does in the whole film in terms of acting. He's like, no, I would have remembered if I told you that. I did not tell you that, you know, piece of detail. And you can see it on his face is like, holy cow, that guy is here somewhere still. And Gary Sinise is looking at him like, what the hell are you talking about, man? Like he doesn't. And that's what, what I, I did sort of enjoy about the, the final twist here is that Gary Sinise realizes the moment before Charlie shoots him and then executes him. Oh crap. I am really screwed up. I was thinking that she maybe hired the 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 big guy to shank Nick. <laughs> I didn't expect it to actually be Nick. Yeah, that that kind of came out of nowhere for me too. And where was Nick hiding during all this? Does anyone know? There is a parked like wrecker truck. They're just in the middle of nothing. Like when they, Oh, that's up. right. They parked next to it. And I, I only noticed it this time. And I said, that's gotta be where he is hiding out because I knew he was coming. And I, I thought, where does he come from? I'm like, Oh, that's, I was like, does he, is he like hiding in a panel in the truck the whole time? Like, but no, he's in that wrecker. So. Yeah. That makes sense now. Cause yeah, I'm, that was a weird thing having a, truck just sitting, well, sitting I mean, there. they they had scoped out I thought this that was going to be their getaway truck. Well, and I think it was. I just don't think Gary Sinise realized he was going to be hiding in it. But they had scoped yeah. that out ahead of time. So That makes sense. But you would have you would think that they would, you know, show him getting out of the the wrecker though. But it would wouldn't be as shocking a moment if they showed him get out. <laughs> this is true. I don't know if you do a nice low shot like from under the the wrecker and you see just like you hear the door open and a pair of feet sit down and then you cut to that shot of him coming around the corner to to greet Charlize Theron. I think it might work okay. Maybe that was in the director's cut again. I don't know. But you're right. That would have worked better. But 
Because it just seems to me, and, uh, you know, I've watched this movie a, a few times. It always seems to me that he just comes out of nowhere, and I'd never... It doesn't seem like there was any signs of life in that wrecker, and it's it would have to be cold. Yeah, but they never really showed a close shot of that wrecker either. They only showed it from above. So, yeah, and he's could in have there been, freezing it, could, it, it off. Could have been, uh, I could see him sitting there like, come on, how much longer is this going to be? Because there's no cell phones or any of that in this movie. That's It could have been warmed up in there for a while before he saw the truck coming and then turned off the engine and just sat there. It's just true. You yeah, never I know. Would, yeah, I, yeah I, mean, I would imagine he would hear or see that truck coming before it gets exactly there, especially if he's just sitting in there with the lights off. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's ways, but we get, we get the, the great ending where that, you know, Nick has been hiding this knife. So when they tie his hands up, of course he's got a way out of that. And they're, they had this wicked elaborate way of getting rid of him, of course. And he hot wires, the car crushes the guy and then runs over Shirley's, and runs her off the cliff. I I thought that was a pretty good little action sequence. And Affleck gets that fun line, like, don't put the car thief in the car. Yeah, for big mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> but I liked it, too. Uh, I I thought it was fun, funny uh, after she's gone, how Nick is trying to then persuade him to let him live, man. It could be you and me, man. We could just we could take all the money as if he's going to believe you after you just tried to kill the fucker. Yeah, that's yeah. it's like it's like uh, Frankenheimer had the idea for the last half of this movie, or at least the final, you know, third of the flick, and then maybe had an, an idea for a beginning, and then it all kind of falls apart in the middle because they there's nothing in there to pad the movie out to two hours. Like you could have literally you could have cut like another half an hour out of the middle of this movie, and I think it would have been the the same or better. Oh, I did. This movie is definitely one that did not need to be two hours long. And had it been 95 minutes would have worked a lot better. But this is, I mean, the end of the nineties, the early two thousands bloated long action movie. What did we talk about? Affleck had been in Armageddon. That's a movie that's nearly three hours long. It doesn't have any reason to be three hours long, but it is. So, uh, cause you have scenes of, uh, Eddie Griffin running around in the, you know, <laughs> with a, uh, a pug and a friggin' meteor striking it for ten minutes. Why? Because Michael Bay. So <laughs> we're in that world. We're in that world. I mean, we do. We got to talk about the ending here, though, where Nick gets to play Santa and just starts handing out illegally gotten gains. I'm like, well, I guess that we're supposed to believe that the car thief slash murderer slash casino robber has got a heart of gold now. Well, he can't be caught with the money. He's wearing the damn Santa suit. Yeah, he should have left the Santa suit. Like he should have. I kept waiting for him to like take the coat off and throw the coat into the wrecker, or not the coat into the wrecker, but throw the coat into the uh, the trailer or something, so that way at least part of the Santa outfit would be in there. Yeah, so, instead he's walking around in a dirty, probably bloody Santa outfit with a sack full of cash. You think? Good he, idea. You think anybody in his family asking like, "What the hell happened to your face, man?" <laughs> Like I know you well, just got out the joint. Well, looking at the Santa suit, they probably didn't. <laughs> I guess <laughs> so, man. I was like, I, I know you just got out the joint, but come on. <laughs> that suit was pretty beat up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know, it 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 just makes me wonder why were there no die packs in that money? 
there are die packs at the bank. Why would they have not had that same thing at the casino? Maybe because it's a backwards middle of nowhere casino run by a guy who wishes he was in Vegas. I don't know. I mean, it didn't seem like the most organized place. It's the count room. And I don't think they put it away yet. Right. It, It felt like they were still counting it out. When they got busted into, so they no, may not they have were, had chance. It was all like rubber banded, and yeah, that's right. the, that's the thing is, if it had been loose, I, I would agree with you. And normally, it probably would have been, but no, it was like ready to go to the bank at that point, or to Kansas City or whatever mobster was picking it up. You know, yeah, it had been counted down at this point. It was just ready for you know, I guess the day after Christmas. I don't think they're expecting to get robbed. <laughs> like yeah, they didn't even is. expect anybody to be there. That was the thing. Like there's, there's only like five people working there at that point. Well, so. my thing is, I think they were, it was all ready to go because they were expecting, you know, it to close early. Right. They were going to try to get out of there. Everybody go home. You're right. So, which is, I mean, the only part of the plan that makes any sense, but. As we know, that's what Nick dreamed about all those years that he sat in prison and he got good old Rudy to do it for him. Well, to me, it's a it's a funnier mental image to think that Affleck's walking down the road, putting this cash in those mailboxes. And just when he's out of sight, the mailboxes explode in a shower of blue dye. <laughs> that Mom, would be look hilarious. what we got. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> guess we know who stole that money. And he, the other thing too is throughout the whole Santa situation, he's wearing nice gloves. When he's putting the money in there, he's not. <laughs> so his fingerprints are getting all over that shit. Exactly right. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, at that point, the the I guess they when the cops showed up at the tomahawk, they were like, "Yeah, you know what? Let's just burn it to the ground. <laughs> Nobody's gonna miss this place." <laughs> Maybe the Native Americans showed up that are funding it and are like gone with all of it. <laughs> no, they just just put it down. I don't know. Uh, I guess I, I wanted to see that, but no, I didn't because this movie would have been longer then, and it didn't need to be any longer than it was. So, <laughs> speaking of things that have gone on long enough, it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, guys, what are yours for Reindeer Games, Brian? Well, this is the first time I've actually seen it. And I got to be honest with you, I was, uh, you know, thoroughly entertained for most of it. Um, there were a, part, a few parts that would drag a little bit here and there. But overall, I didn't think it was terrible uh, by any means. The acting wasn't superb, but not much Ben Affleck acting is. So that's not a surprise. But um, overall, I, I thought it was okay. I'm going to give it a medium popcorn. I, I'd actually watch it again. Ron? Yeah, I'm going to go with the medium popcorn, too. Um, I agree that the acting is 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 acceptable. Nobody's, like, bad. Uh, there's not a lot for, you know, most of these people to do. Uh, you know, the the I think the only direction Gary Sinise was given was be more evil. <laughs> and, I mean, that clearly paid off. Um, it, it's always, it was always nice to see Dennis Farina get a paycheck. He's always great. Um you know, a lot of character actors were able to to get one good check out of it, and you know, make some mortgage payments. So that's cool. Um, the casino robbery is good. The uh, the stuff, the twist at the end is pretty fun. The that action scene at the end with the uh, multiple crashing, exploding vehicles is great. Um, the introduction is at least you know kind of charming. At least until Gabriel shows up, it's 
it's a little too long, but at least it's cute, you know. And you, you get a lot of nice uh, 50s Christmas rock and roll songs. <laughs> it, it's, um, a, it's a Lifetime movie beginning. It really is. Uh, well, except for the, the boobs and well, Affleck. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> otherwise, it's it's right there. So <laughs> Anyway, yeah, medium popcorn. There's, there's a lot of stuff to like. There's a lot of boring stuff that could be cut out in the middle. Um, I... It, it feels like it's almost two separate movies kind of mashed together to me. And the Affleck uh, voiceover is an attempt to kind of smooth over the cracks with a little bit of, you know, spackle, but it's not entirely effective. Uh, but, you know, it's it's one of those movies that I think everybody should see at least once just because there's a lot of crazy crap going on. Oh, yeah, this movie is indeed crazy. Uh, I'm going to join you guys in the bucket of medium popcorn. I think this movie just lives in that world because it is that tedious. Like, it could be so much better if it was 30 minutes shorter, but it's not. And it's also got Ben Affleck in it, so it can't really ever be anything else. But it's fine enough. I mean, it's it's fun. I think it might be a fun, like, watch with a group of friends kind of thing. I, it's as far as like holiday movie or whatever, I guess it meets that standard because there's a lot of Christmas songs and Santa Claus is doing horrible violence. I mean, it was either that or we do a silent night, deadly night thing. So, uh, which we made not to more. mention that, you know, you've got Rudy, AKA Rudolph and yeah. Nick, St. <laughs> Nick. Yeah. <Saint> Nick. <laughs> yeah I, I was wondering if, if somebody was going to call it out. I'm glad you did. And Gabriel. An angel. The angel. Yeah, he, Jesus, has, he has a whole monologue news, about that. He yeah. brought G- the news of Jesus to Mary. So there you go. It's all Christmas related. It's it's all, but that's the kind of thing that like I expect from an Aaron Kruger script that's not called Arlington Road. It's all that self-referential. I really wish I was Shane Black, but I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of thing. And that's this whole movie. I mean, really, it is. It's worth a watch, though. It's a media popcorn, and it's a fun way to end a year, guys. We, you know, we've done thirty-four movie reviews this year. We count everything we put out, from Jaws to some of those Lifetime movies to some of the Kubrick stuff we've done to, you know, some Lego Batman, Scream, and then now this. So, and we, you know, we had we've had we had Ninja Vember in there. I mean, it's been a pretty good variety this year. Yeah, much like this movie, there there was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and it's crazy and all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Some of it made sense, and some of it starred Ben Affleck. And that's what we, that's what we can say about 2017. Who knows what 2018 will bring about? But you know, this one's coming out on Christmas Day, so it's our last review of the year. And I just want to say a personal thanks to all of our fans and listeners, people that download the show and support us, leave us reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it. We have a lot of fun doing this. We try to, you know keep the variety up and and do different things. And so we're glad you're along for the ride. And on another personal note, I want to say thank you to a group of people. We don't say thank you to enough on this, but their names are Rachel, Holly, Holly, Riley, Owen and Xander, Katie and Chase. And those are the family members of myself and all of our compatriots here on film strip. 
these guys, like I drag them away from their wives and kids, and sometimes their wives get drugged through watching these things together with them to do these reviews. And I really appreciate it, guys. And I appreciate the the sacrifice that everybody makes to be a part of this show because we just do this for fun. I mean, we don't we don't run any big donation drives, and we don't have a we. I think we have a donate button on the web page, but I don't know that anybody's ever clicked it, Brian. Uh, I don't but, know that it even works. Yeah, probably probably <laughs> doesn't. So it's kind of like the powwow safe. We're not really sure what happens when you hit it but uh i I did want to say thanks to everybody that that uh lends you guys out to to me and and to the the listeners of the show because it wouldn't happen without you guys wanting to be here i mean i would watch you know a ton of movies all the time because that's what i like to do but having people to talk to uh, about it is is a real joy so i thank you to from the bottom of my heart to you guys and to kurt and nick and, and their families and your families as well uh, for doing this with us again. And uh, here's to another fun your own film strip next year. Cheers. If it wasn't fun, Jay, I'd tell you to pound sand. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Now, Brian, we've got some fun stuff happening in the uh, Whedonverse, right? We do. We're back uh, doing the Angel television series now. We've gone through all of Buffy, took a good uh, four years off almost. Yeah. And uh, we're back with Angel. Which reminds me, I need to get the next episode ready. Are you guys also going to do like Serenity and uh, Firefly and all that stuff at some point? You know, I I've, was, I've never seen any of those. So. Me either. Yeah. I own I own Firefly, the whole series, because it was a whole whopping one season. But I've never actually sat down and watched it. I also own Dr. Horrible. <laughs> um, which is another Whedon thing with uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. I haven't watched that yet either, but I have them. So we, it's an option. We might get to it. We've still got five seasons of Angel to get through, and so that's that's its own task to come. But that, yes, again, if you subscribe to the old Art of Slaying feed on iTunes or check out the site, you can find it. Of course, ContinuousPlayPodcast.com is your home for all of our podcast stuff because not only have we done – you know, new angel reviews and all the Buffy reviews are still there. And of course the film strip catalog is growing ever closer to 300. Now we're almost there. Um, we'll get there in 2018, but we've also done like sports shows this year too. We had a college football podcast going called the gridiron breakdown. And then Brian, you've been hosting a, an NFL podcast called the snap judgment and that'll carry over into 2018. Well, we hope anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> at this point, we're going to keep doing it. There's still games, but uh. yeah. well, we'll keep doing it as long as everyone's around. But uh, you know, it's it's been fun. Um, I, it's something different. I I don't know that anyone really listens to it, and then that's fine. But we have a good time talking about football, and so we figured, why not? Well, just record it. Why not? Yeah, exactly. So, so we, and it's a good time. Yeah, having everything under one big umbrella. And, of course, Kurt's active getting more Fabish Factor stuff up and going, and then he's good to come on and do those Kubrick films with me. And we're finally through, I think, the the tedious part of that catalog. So 2018 should be more of the interesting ones. And I can't wait to get to eyes wide shut. Cause I got, I got thoughts, but um, we'll, we'll get to that later on next year. Guys, again, thanks so much for joining me on this one. And everybody, again, thank you for listening. We appreciate your support until next time for Brian, Ron, Nick and Kurt. I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to film strip. Thank you for listening to film strip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.